Welcome back to another episode of the Renewal Session. I'm your host, Mary Ann, mom and Christian therapist. And joining me today is my co-host and daughter, Katie. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie. I am a social worker and my mom's partner in crime. Every week here on the Renewal Session, we cover topics about mental health and faith and stories about how we've navigated our way through life and the ups and downs of our mother-daughter dynamic. Did you know that we had a dynamic, Katie? Oh, I think we definitely have a dynamic. I can't wait to explore that again (laughs) today. All right, so this week we're going to talk about what type of perfectionist am I? So we're going to cover three different types of perfectionism. Perfect. When you thought about perfectionism, when I was telling you that we were going to do this, right? did you have any idea that there were differences in perfectionism? I didn't, but I think I think now that I've read through it, it makes sense to kind of categorize them so you can kind of look at the different origins of each type. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just start with the very basic, what everybody thinks perfectionism is. So cool. we didn't come up with this definition on our own. We um, are smart enough to let somebody else come up with definitions and then us talk about what we think about them. So why don't you go ahead and read the definition, Katie? Perfect. The definition of perfectionism as a broader term is the tendency to demand of others or of oneself an extraordinarily high or even flawless level of performance um, in excess of what is required by the situation. All right, let's just stop right there. I feel like just in that little, little bit, yeah, I can say, yep, do that. I do oh, that. Oh, for sure. I have incredibly high standards for myself as well as those around me. Do you feel like I have high standards of you? Yeah. I think that that's a healthy thing, though. Like, uh, do you? Well, in some respect, uh, yeah. Some areas I feel like it's healthy. Yeah. In other areas, I think that my perfectionism can also often create a sense of shame, though. And we'll, yeah. we'll get into that. We'll unpack our dynamic right. as it pertains to this. Right. But, but the perfectionist mindset, I think, is kind of fueled by determination and the ability to overcome obstacles, promote your dedication. And I think people typically think of perfectionists as hardworking, diligent people. Is that what you think when you hear that? Yeah. I think like type A. Oh my gosh, I'm such a perfectionist. Yeah. Type A, they've got their crap together and probably somebody else's also. (laughs) Yeah. They've got it all figured out. Do you feel like if I was to say to you, oh my gosh, I'm such a perfectionist, what would I be telling you about myself? Um, that you hyper fixate on things until there's literally no room for error. Really? That's, that's how I would, yeah. If I'm going to, if somebody's like, oh, they're such a perfectionist, I uh, automatically assume that there's some level of hyper fixation, like hyper fixation that comes with that. Right. Well, and unrealistic goals, right? Yeah. That I think can happen is because of that need yeah. for perfectionism, which can really lead to a whole plethora yeah. Of mental health issues. Do you want to hit the biggies? What What's a mental health issue that you think can result from perfectionism? Well, I think the big major one that I automatically think of is anxiety. A hundred percent. Just like this pressure uh, that we put on ourselves or like the anxiousness to, you know, get it right or make it perfect kind of thing. 
Um, I think it can also result in depression, though, if it's like you're not achieving the goal that you've set for yourself that might be unattainable, but, you know, you're not willing to acknowledge it. I think sometimes that can be pretty depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would add that that I think sometimes when I've experienced a flare up, if you will, mm-hmm. of perfectionism in my life. I have a lot of unregulated feelings. Yeah. Right. Now, they would fall under something like stress, worry, overwhelmed, frustrated. Yeah. But really what it means is that internally I'm dysregulated. Yeah. And and in an effort to regulate my feelings, I think, well, if I could just get everything perfect, then I would be good to go. Right. Right on this totally and that that'll be the coping strategy that I'll use to regulate my feelings when in reality it's it's a really faulty coping strategy because it doesn't accomplish the freedom to to be who you are and to do the things to the best of your ability right without any attachment to perhaps a faulty belief of I'm not good enough, people are smarter than me, right? so on and so forth. Okay, totally. so let's break into our three types because I think the pretty typical one, it, what we're describing, yeah. is self-oriented perfectionism, right. right? And that's really about creating high standards for myself, expecting myself to meet those standards, and if I fall short, then making myself feel guilty or shameful because I did not meet those expectations. Yeah, but it's the main per- the main point of this is that it's all directed inwardly. So it's not like nobody else is putting that perfection onto you. Is that right? Like, yes. Yeah, correct. it's not like these are outside standards of perfectionism that you're trying to meet. It's like you've set your own standards for what perfect is, and then it's like oriented towards yourself, not being inflicted on others or anything. Right. Okay. And you know what's really interesting is in perfectionism, they've done some studies mm-hmm. where people are trying to determine, like, what is the link, the emotional link to these perfections? What is, like, the big core drive right. in things, right? right? And a lot of people that struggle with self-oriented perfectionism are really wanting to be nurtured, to be encouraged, to receive words of affirmation. And have you ever noticed that like when people talk about perfectionism, one of the things that they do is they self-deprecate? Oh, yeah. Right. For sure. And it's as simple as, I know, I'm such a perfectionist. And then there's like a little giggle that happens afterwards, Right. right? right? But the funny part is, is studies have shown that the sense of humor that this type of perfectionist uses Mm -hmm. is what they call affiliative. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if that's the right way to say that. But creating affiliations (laughs) with other people through their perfectionism. Because what they really Mm. want, the core need, is to feel connected and accepted and validated validated for these types of things. So do you think you struggle with this one? Oh yeah, I think everybody, I think everybody does. But I think I, now that you're pointing out the humor style, I think you know I use humor a lot to deflect really big tough emotions. And if I feel like I've fallen short in some area, I'll just make a joke about it in order to, like, normalize that I'm not perfect. If that makes sense. So like for instance, if I am not doing like well on a homework assignment or whatever when I was in school. 
I'd be like, yeah, math just isn't my gig. Like, whatever, even though maybe I spent three hours on my homework the night before trying to figure it out. But I would uh, make it into a joke so that everybody could relate to me on math is hard. Yes, you know exactly. That's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Yeah, and to be honest, I've never in my life spent three hours on math homework. But I'm just saying. <laughs> what do you think is the longest amount of time that you have studied in one setting? Um, and the key is one one sitting. I think I did a five-hour day one time when I was studying for my master's uh, or for my uh, my license for social work. I think I studied for five hours in one stretch. Really? I think I did. Yeah, I actually saw this thing on the internet where if you put gummy bears on the page of your textbook. And I then, literally like, thought. Motivate <laughs> yourself. Like each paragraph, you get a gummy bear. That's, I think I, I'm, I'm almost positive that I did that, but I think I did it with uh, You Skittles. know, you started with, you know, gummies. And I was like, wait. Where are you gummy going with bears, this? Gummy, gummy bears. bears. But not soaked in alcohol. No, just regular. Just straight gummy bears. Correct. Interesting. Did you? I you, was studying. you did this? I, no, I use Skittles instead. I don't like gummy bears like oh, that. Skittles. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot of Skittles. I had I'm to be motivated. Lie. I had to be motivated. Where You were probably on a sugar high, too. Yeah. It was a good crash. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I only <laughs> lasted five hours. Crash. I lasted five hours. All right. So, well, I I can say confidently that I I suffer, yeah, if you will, from this. I certainly have high standards for myself. And the irony is with perfectionism, if if you don't believe that you can meet the standards, mm-hmm. then sometimes you give up before you even start it. Right. Totally. Right? And so there are whole areas of my life where I could say I'm absolutely a perfectionist, right. but another person would say that's not true. You're not a perfectionist when it comes to blah, 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 weight right. or exercise or, or anything. athleticism. Right. And <laughs> when in reality, I actually am a perfectionist around yeah. those things, but I know I can't be perfect. So I have a lot of false starts yeah. in my story of totally. like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this. And then I do it one day and I feel great. Yeah. And I'm so proud that I met my standard. Yep. But a lot of times I just won't even start because I'm already defeated before totally I begin. Yep. All right. So that's number one. Number two. Yep. Socially prescribed perfectionism. So this is the belief that others are harshly judging you and they require you to show a level of perfectionism as payment for social acceptance. Oof. I know, right? Why did you emphasize the word payment? Did that just stand I don't know. I think that it sounds very, it's, it seems, it strikes me as very transactional. Like in order to have social acceptance or like to mean something or to be worthy to society, you have to present yourself a certain way in order to like gain a a social setting, if that makes don't sense. Don't you feel like this is like the story of adolescent life? I think it just in life. Yeah. Like I look at, I look at the girls on Instagram or whatever and they're also 20, how old am I? 26 years old. And they're doing like, you know, they're in Dubai and they're, they've got full houses or whatever. And, you know, so I, I put myself in comparison to that and I have a great life. I love my life. I'm super happy. But I do think when you see others, and you want to obtain cert- like those things, then that pr- level of perfection. I don't know. Does that make okay, sense? Yeah, but I'm going to tell you a story that just sure. came to my mind. Sure. Okay, it's not about people in Dubai. Yeah, I don't okay. actually care about Dubai, but it's about the old store called the Limited. 
Oh, you ever yeah. heard of this door? Yeah. Okay. They had so, limited two. Oh yeah, that's right. But yeah. this was for the adults. The adults was that's the right. limited. I forgot about yeah, that's right. Two. Okay, so back in the day, I wanted to be cool, and so I bought a lot of my clothes yeah. typically at Gap. Cool. Uh, limited. Cool. Express before they only carried men's stuff. They okay. still had like a female line mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Okay. So you also did Black House White Market. I didn't do that when I was this age that I'm referring to, oh. though. This was, like, 21. Okay. I was really a solid, like, Ralph Lauren Gap girl. Cool. Like, I, I actually applied. Did I ever tell you this? I applied for a job at the Gap. That um, makes sense to me. Right? And one of the things they make you do is they have this folding board, mm-hmm. and you have to, like, Put the T-shirt on it, and the only job to the folding board—it's—it's it's built to make it do do it for you. Okay, yeah, to fold it is, perfectly is literally to fold one side in, fold the other side. But there's like a board that does that for you, right? Right, and now it's folded in half, and now you're gonna lift up the bottom of it, and now it's in that beautiful fold that you see displayed. Correct. I failed at the folding board. Yeah, I literally failed. How did you do that? Did well, the, fel- one, did the I put it upside down. Out? No, one I, one, I put it upside down so it didn't hinge properly. Okay. Right? So then I tried to, like, switch it around because it was timed, right? I don't know if everybody's Gap interviews went this way, but this was mine. This sounds so, right? like, So I flunked, I flunked the folding mm-hmm. so I didn't get the job. Okay. But that didn't deter me from continuing to shop there. Sure. Okay. So this is all the setup for right. what happened to me about the socially prescribed stuff. Okay. So I had bought this outfit at the Limited okay. that was super cute. It was like a beige colored long skirt <laughs> that was like, okay, don't laugh because I'm old. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it was like knit, but kind of sweatery. It's coming back in style. These it sweater is coming skirts, back in style. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So it's kind of like a knit sweatery skirt. And then it came with a button-down tunic sweatery top that matched it. It was cool. like a set. Yeah. Right? And I had a beige. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. I, like, literally was all beige. Tunic, like, um, mock turtleneck. Wow, that's, like, super trendy right now. Right. It was cool back then, too. Okay? Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, Papa got some kind of award. Your husband. Oh, yeah, right. Sorry. Um. Papa gets some kind of award for work, and they're going to have us go to this fancy hotel cool. downtown, right? We're going to go for this. It's not really a gala. It was more like a fancy dinner, and sure. it was just only the people that got dominated, right? So I call up Granny, and I'm like, oh, we got invited. This is so amazing. And the first question out of her mouth is, well, what are you wearing? Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm wearing that, like, beige outfit that I got from the Limited. It's, like, my favorite outfit. It's so cute. I get tons of compliments on it. Granny, for once in her life, was silent. Silent? Silent. And then she says, Marianne, you can't wear that to a nice dinner. You need a simple black dress. Oh, you will be so embarrassed. You will stick out like a sore thumb if you show up in that outfit. You need to go out and get yourself a simple black dress. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was one time, one time 
that my my butt got so saved by your grandmother. Oh, seriously? There was a one other time when we picked out China, but that's a day a story for another day. Right. But it it helped me understand that there are times where going along with the socially prescribed norm uh-huh. is really important. Right. But when that norm becomes something that you overthink about yeah because it's going to earn you some kind of social clout yeah that's when it's not healthy right right that makes sense now let's talk about humor styles yeah what do you think this one's going to be if I show up at that party and I'm wearing that that outfit and I suddenly realize that I stick out like a sore thumb what kind of humor do you think I'm going to use to deal with that like a brush it off kind of humor yeah yeah. Yeah. Like it poke fun at myself, maybe yeah. a little self deprecating. Right. Kind of thing. Like I know before you know. Right. Like I'm going to call it out. And that's a common thing. Like if I know I should have worn a black dress. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. And, and you know what? I, one day, one time I decided I was going to kind of pay attention to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started to notice that lots of people have this tendency to apologize or breaking away from social norms. Yeah, right? totally. Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I want to do. When really, inside, they're gripped with the desire to be included and to belong. Yeah. Right? Totally. Right. Totally. So, okay. So, one of the other things that, that gets hidden in perfectionism is a battle with self-esteem. Yeah. Right. Would it have been nice to be able to go to that party and wear my outfit and not care what anybody thought? Sure. Yeah. But I didn't have, and my mother knew this, that I did not have the self-esteem to handle going into a situation and feeling ill-equipped to handle it. Right. Or like the odd man out. Right. Yeah. And so so I think there's there's something about even how we get raised sometimes mm-hmm. that our parents and or our caregivers are really guiding us towards how to be appropriate. Yeah. But it can quickly slide into I'm not good enough. Yeah. I don't belong. Other well, that's people are like, cooler. Yeah. I mean, well, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I went to a Christian university for my undergraduate. And there's a very, like, strong identity that is, you know, kind of imposing for what the Christian girl should look like. And I tend to fall more liberal, more open-minded about certain things, and pretty loud in comparison to the other girls that I went to school with. You know, and when you have that social expectation to be and act a certain way, it really can make you have a hard time with your self-esteem because you're like constantly reflecting on, well, why am I so different? What does this mean? Does this mean I'm a bad person or that I'm not worthy of the same kind of social situations as other girls, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that it's definitely one of those things like self-esteem for sure is impacted, but also can impact the way that you, you know, did you feel like, do you feel like when you were in college and you realized you weren't a cookie cutter, Right. Christian girl, um, that you had to change your personality to fit into that. Oh, for sure. And I'm still working through that. Like I'm still unchanging myself. Gotcha. What was the yeah. biggest thing that you felt like you had to, you know, hide perhaps? 
Um, I have a lot of thoughts about stuff and opinions about stuff, and I don't think that that really sat well with a lot of people. I asked a lot of questions, and I don't think that, you know, I think that in certain sects of Christianity, women are not supposed to ask a ton of questions. And I asked questions, and stuff didn't make sense to me, and things were like, why are you being... Why are you being weird or why are you quieting that girl or whatever? And right. I, don't, I don't think that that sat well with people sometimes. Right. Which you kind of point are Or like out. I got called intimidating a lot or that I was like too curious or, you know, I got I, people said all kinds of weird stuff. Interesting. Yeah. But I think you bring up a good point that there's something lost in our identity yeah. when we try to live up to these socially prescribed norms. Totally. That it's one thing for you to choose to live out your faith in a way that mirrors those around you. But when you have to hush up yeah. parts of yourself in order to receive acceptance, yep. right? I'm glad you pointed out that there's an undoing that has to happen as For you sure. reclaim your identity or establish your identity in yeah. the first place. Well, and it takes, uh, like when you do the undoing, it also takes integrating good people that will come in and love those parts that you've undone, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like people that come in and love me for my opinions, people that come in and love me for my curiosity. Like that's what's important. So answer this question for me really quick because this goes to the mother-daughter dynamic. Yes. Okay, and then we'll go on to number three. Sure. This is an easy one that can get kind of screwed up with mother-daughter relationships simply because there's a generational aspect to it. Yeah. There's a, a parenting responsibility aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like you, I was stifling your individuality in the way that I might have promoted cookie-cutter living? Um, I definitely think that you wanted for me to be accepted and loved. Um, I think there was a long period of time where you were like, you have to act a certain way and be a certain way in order to be loved. But then I think when you had a shift in your own life towards individuality and towards accepting yourself, you opened the field for me to be different. Man, can you imagine if I hadn't done the hard work of working through my stuff? Well, yeah, you had a lot of stuff to work through. I mean, you were almost going to wear a knit dress to a party. <laughs> <laughs> That's legitimate. You had, some you had some serious crap to process. Not where I thought you were going with that. <laughs> no, but I do think there was, you know, through years of counseling and good insight into your life as an adult... You know, I was a teenager when you were doing all of that internal work. And so yeah. when I when you came to the point where you were like, no, it's actually OK to be an individual. I was already curious about that. And we had known that since I was born. Like I always have been a creative. I've always been a person that wanted to be different and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so when you finally broke through that for yourself, there was a turning point in which you said, Katie, I'm sorry that I didn't pour into those parts of you. Right. How can I do that now? And that I think was super healing to my inner child, which we don't talk a lot about inner children yet on this podcast, but I do think there was something about that that felt very intimate for you to say of like, you were acknowledging the hurt of me trying to like 
be somebody different, if that makes sense. Yes. And I, I think part of why I like doing the podcast with you is because I want moms and daughters to yeah. hear that these kinds of conversations. Well, and fathers and sons. Like, I think, you know, it's not just mothers, daughters, but I think just overall parent-child communication Yes. Can be a huge and thing. And there, there is huge, huge power to change the trajectory of a person's life when you acknowledge their journey yeah. and their process. But in order to, to be able to do that for another person, you have to be willing to do the work yourself. Totally. Right? Okay, so let's talk, because you did a perfect lead-in to the third one, which yeah. is other-oriented perfectionism. And sometimes this one can happen... In parenting, not in all cases, right? But it's, I'm going to ask you to be something that I've decided yeah. you should be. Totally. Right? I'm going to determine your high standards, not yep. you. Yep. Right? Totally. And and I think when people go here, they, they can use like an aggressive, passive aggressive or straight out aggressive sense of humor to communicate a message. Yeah. Right. For sure. To make sure that and, and there's like a criticalness in it. Yeah. Snarky. I also think that word. it can be like helicoptery, like in, in young relation like young parenting child relationships. I think when I when I think of like other oriented perfection, sometimes I think of like parents setting expectations for their children to act a certain way and then like being on top of them, making sure that they are doing that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and there's like a kissing cousin to this, and the term is impression management. Yes. Right? And yeah. I'm big on this right now because I'm seeing it over and over and over again Yeah. in people in my client load and in friendships of everybody wanting somebody to perceive them a certain way. And I think even in parenting, you can – inadvertently even yeah decide well this is how you should present yourself to the world right and so you you do end up kind of pushing down the natural gifts of yeah. a person when you say you're in charge of managing your impressions and usually yeah usually and we can do a whole nother time talking about impression management but let me just say this, that usually you don't even experience the true nature of the person yeah. because they're so busy buying into the standards totally. that have either been placed on them or placed on themselves, Yeah, right, to, to present in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So these are three examples. I think every one of us could probably find a little bit of this in, in themselves, but I think it's worth considering, like, hey – what is my go-to yeah. on, on things? Or like my main areas of struggle. And is that orient, is that originating from me? Is that something that is put on me by society? Is that somebody that's put on me by close relationships with somebody else? Like I think identifying the origin of your perfectionism. Because then, you know, if it's, if it's I putting that pressure on myself to be perfect, then that's an area for, for reflection and growth. Or if it's somebody else is putting their own definition of perfectionism on me, then that's boundaries work, you know? And so it's, it's important to identify exactly what the origin story of your perfectionism is. And it, alongside of that, you know, one of the, there are usually tells, but one of the tells I've heard recently with people is if you just simply ask them, just tell me about what fulfills you. Yeah. What, what, what makes you get up in the morning and enjoy your life? 
inevitably that conversation, if they don't, if they've like succumbed to other oriented or socially prescribed perfectionism, particularly, yeah. Yeah. they don't have a strong sense of self. Right. Right. So they've already sacrificed that strong sense of self to the other persons in their lives to yeah. determine their worth. Right? right. So there's this whole work that has to happen within us to say, I am worthy of deciding my standards yep. and I am going to be balanced in deciding those standards. And that's why I think there's this whole need for healthy relationships, healthy boundaries, having support systems that will really encourage and reflect back to you your true nature. Mm-hmm. Right. And cause people freak out when they, when you start talking to them about stuff and then you're like, who they go I don't know who I am I don't know I don't know what I like yeah they have an identity crisis right and there's that identity crisis so one of the ways to check it is to look at these three and ask did I lose my identity because of the one of one or more of these aspects totally all right girl we did good I feel like one we kept it short were we amusing do you feel like do you have anything amusing to say I, I said funny stuff I did what'd you say that was funny I, I called you out on your dress thing again. That was oh, funny. That's true. But no, I think we're getting back into the groove. We've been gone for a while, so it's I nice know, I'm to, looking forward to it's it. It's nice to record. I feel like with the weather changing and stuff, it puts the it's time to have a cozy podcast, you know? Yes. Time yes, to have a cozy podcast. Okay, so something really cool is happening so oh, that yeah. people can get connected to us. For sure. One, obviously, we're going to be um, shooting shooting out emails we're going to be posting things on social media coming up yeah but we have one big offering after the first of the year Ooh. right and that's book club book club book club is that your theme scene theme song yeah i thought that was cute okay can Jingle. you okay check this out did i tell you this the other day about bailey syrian oh i don't know that we've talked about Bailey Sarian, but I love her. Okay. So Bailey Sarian is a YouTuber that does murder, murder, mystery, and mayhem Mondays. Yes. And she does her makeup. So she does her makeup while she tells stories about like wacky murders or like missing people or it's just interesting. Okay. But my point to this story is that she came up with a theme song. Yeah. Can you demonstrate that theme song? Shana, 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 shana. <laughs> so I would like you to come up with a similar theme song. I did. I said book club, book club. That's Th- great. That's what you're going for. You know what? Oh, you we know have what? A people? Sound tech. Did you just hear that? Papa's here with us, and he just offered up a potential theme song. Let's hear it. Book club, book club. Perfect. Oh my gosh, you're so ridiculous. Okay, so January 9th is when book club starts. Yes. We will have information on our social media about how to get connected to that. We're super excited. I'm going to reveal on the next podcast the name of the book and why we chose it. So look forward to that information. Until next time, see ya. See ya.